morning. Can I thank you for your kind invitation for me to come and worship with you here today? It's always a privilege and a pleasure, so thank you. This morning's call to worship comes from Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with the songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bits and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many of the woes, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds those who trust in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've called us here today. We thank you that you've been present with each one of us this week and in every situation. We thank you for the successes of this last week, for the things that have gone well at home and at work. We thank you for the food we have eaten, the conversations we have had, and the places we have slept. We also give to you, Lord, the hurts and the pains. We know that you have been with us in every situation this week. And we pray, Lord, that as we are gathered here, together into one body, that we would know your healing ministry upon our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Lord, we know that you also know our failures, and we give them to you, Lord. We thank you that you are ready to forgive us for every sin that we confess. We thank you, Lord, that we do not have to earn a place in your presence, but by the blood of your Son, in whose name we gather today, we have been made worthy and acceptable. And on this Father's Day, Lord, it is as your children that we have gathered. May we sing freely of your good works and praise you with all our heart and mind, our most holy and heavenly Father. Amen. Our reading from Scripture this morning is in Galatians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11 to the end of the chapter. Let us listen for the word of God. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, however, I opposed him to his face, since he was manifestly in the wrong. His custom had been to eat with the pagans, but after certain friends of James arrived, he stopped doing this, and kept away from them altogether for fear of the group that insisted on circumcision. The other Jews joined him in this pretense, and even Barnabas felt himself obliged to copy their behaviour. 
When I saw that they were not respecting the true meaning of the good news, I said to Cephas, in front of everyone, in spite of being a Jew, you live like the pagans and not like the Jews. So you have no right to make the pagans copy Jewish ways. Though we were born Jews and not pagan sinners, we acknowledge that what makes a man righteous is not obedience to the law, but faith in Jesus Christ. We had to become believers in Christ Jesus no less than you had. And now that we hold that faith in Christ rather than the fidelity to the law, that's what justifies us. And that no one can be justified by keeping the law. Now, if we were to admit that the result of looking to Christ to justify us is to make us sinners like the rest, it would follow that Christ had induced us to sin, which would be absurd. If I were to return to a position I had already abandoned, I should be admitting that I had done something wrong. In other words, through the law, I am dead to the law, so that now I can live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I live now not with my own life, but with the life of Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in his body, I live in faith, faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who sacrificed himself for my sake. I cannot bring myself to give up God's gift. If the law can justify us, there is no point in the death of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider your word this morning, may we hear your voice clearly. May you open our hearts to receive what it is you wish for us to learn this morning. Help us to meditate on it in our minds and our hearts, and then to follow it as we follow you. Amen. I want to start by asking a question, but I can't quite bring myself to ask it. But have you ever been asked, how good a Christian are you? Has anyone ever come up to you and asked you what kind of Christian you are? I can see a few people nodding heads. I can't bring myself to ask it because I don't believe I have that right. Because it's not the kind of question you'd ask without feeling judgmental. But it is a question we maybe sometimes even ask ourselves, whether we should or shouldn't. And inevitably we think, well, maybe I should be praying more, doing more, giving more. There's always something that maybe we think we should be doing to make ourselves better Christians. But when other people openly challenge us and say to us, you're not a good enough Christian, they get us where it hurts because we desire to be faithful, we desire to be acceptable, we desire to do those things that please our Heavenly Father. And it's very powerful when someone accuses us of not being good enough Christians. And that's part of what we read this morning. And it's even more shocking if we look at this from Peter's perspective to begin with. 
The fact that Peter should withdraw himself from the Gentiles, from the pagans, to not eat with them anymore is bad enough. But maybe you can remember the story that we read in Acts 10, that Peter was the very one through whom the Lord spoke so that we as Gentiles knew that we were welcome in the family of God as much as anyone else. He was staying with a friend of his, Simon the Tanner, in Antioch. And he went up on the rooftop to pray. Now he was hungry. And it could be that when he was hungry, he started imagining food. But that wasn't the case. In this case, he saw a vision. And this blanket came down. And on it were all sorts of animals, clean and unclean. And then he heard a voice telling him to rise, to kill and eat. And he said, no, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's unclean or impure. But the Lord responded and said to him, Peter, do not call anything that I have made pure, impure. This happened three times. It'd be easy to think that's typical Peter, but I'm sure if we think about it ourselves, whenever the Lord's told us to do anything, we've had to hear it several times. But three times Peter saw this vision, and three times the Lord said, do not call anything impure that I have called pure. Do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. It would take too long this morning to consider the whole dilemma that Peter was facing as he went through this. Because for him in his mind to be faithful to the Lord meant only eating clean foods. How could he do this and still please the Lord? And whilst he was pondering these things, these men arrived from a centurion, Cornelius, not just any gentle, but a Roman centurion, so a man of power, a man that actually represented the people that were oppressing the Jews. But Peter heard the, voice, the Lord's voice clearly, that he was to go with them. So the next day he went to Cornelius' house. And we continued to read that the Holy Spirit fell upon all of Cornelius' household. And Peter, seeing that this was an act of God, baptized them. Then he stayed with them for a few days. After those days, he returned. He told the apostles and those in Jerusalem what had happened. And they rejoiced as well that we who are Gentiles or are pagans had been granted repentance unto life. It took an act of God to lead Peter to fellowship with Gentiles. Yet it took only an act of man to stop it. Peter has been guilt-tripped. He's been told he's not being good enough. He's not being faithful enough. And he's been convinced that maybe, although it's good that these Gentiles can now be forgiven by the Lord, that because he is Jewish, he should still keep away from them. It's scary when you realize there is nowhere in the Old Testament that says that a Jew cannot eat with a Gentile. It was just difficult for them because if they chose to fellowship with Gentiles, there was a danger they'd be given food that they couldn't eat. There was a danger that they would be held into conversations that they shouldn't have. So rather than being the people that set an example and were a light to the world, they became exclusive and divisive. But let's not be too judgmental. If we read through the Old Testament, we read so many stories about how the nation Israel was blessed. When it was faithful to the Lord and kept the law... Then they were in the ascendancy. Their kings were secure in their power. Their crops were bountiful. The people were healthy. And when they were unfaithful and did other things like worship other gods or didn't uphold the justice the Lord had asked them to, 
Then they were taken into captivity. They were made slaves. Their land was barren. Even we, as we read our Bibles, cannot help but read of Daniel and his faithfulness. That when he was taken into captivity and refused the food that the king had put before him, how the Lord blessed him and prospered him. It's very easy to see the scriptures that these people from James used to convince Peter that maybe his meal with Cornelius had been an exception. Maybe it had just been something to done in the name of mission. But it wasn't meant to be a, an everyday rule. It is difficult when someone tells us that we're not being faithful. For it should be our desire, and it is our desire, that we lead a life that pleases God. That somehow, what we believe is reflected in how we lead our lives. But for many, that also means it reflects who they are and aren't willing to have fellowship with. Sadly, this idea that there are two types of Christians, the more faithful, the more holy, the more righteous ones, and everyone else, is one that still prevails. Yes, we do desire to earn God's blessing. And there have been many different ways that people have suggested we can do that. Different ways that we should lead our lives to earn his blessing, to be more faithful. But what we should do depends really on who you listen to sometimes. And if I could be forgiven for maybe suggesting a few stereotypes for a moment. And know that I am stereotyping. But for those of a fundamentalist mindset, of course, when you read your scriptures, you must read it with a Calvinistic understanding. Therefore, it's easy to criticize the liberals who obviously don't take their scriptures seriously enough. And as such, you only fellowship with people that have the same interpretation of the scriptures as you and even avoid people that have been influenced as such. But then, of course, if you're of a liberal mindset, you can do the same thing. You condemn the Calvinists and the fundamentalists for their judgmental attitude and their legalistic interpretation of Scripture because do we not realize that the gospel is about social responsibility? And therefore, you only fellowship with those that think likewise and live likewise. And the charismatics, of course, feel sorry for everyone because, of course, if, they, if we all knew how to read our Scriptures, we would know the true meaning and therefore know the right prayers to say to get the Holy Spirit to act in power in our lives, these poor other Christians are missing out. They haven't got that extra blessing. They haven't got that fullness of their faith. And they too then only fellowship and mix with people that are like-minded. Each group convinced that they are the ones favored by God, that they are the ones that are more blessed because they hold that greater truth. I am being a bit frivolous. And hopefully you realize that I've been a bit extreme in some of the stereotypes. I'm sure I could have been more extreme, but there's only so much offense you can cause. Um, But that's the danger when we suggest there are two tiers to Christianity. We leave people feeling that they're missing something. But for some reason, it's in our nature to want to rank people into okay, good, better, and best. How often have you heard people talk of other Christians and say, They are Christians, but they're saved by the skin of the teeth. But then talking about someone else, they'll say, oh yes, they're a true true living saint. 
They have decided who is the better Christian. They have decided whose example we must follow. Of course, if you don't agree, you can soon find you're not part of the in crowd. It's not nice when you feel you're being left out. And so it's easy to want to conform to what others are saying and doing. It's not that I'm naive. There are important discussions to be had. There are, there are discussions and conversations that it would be very important to have. But it's the belief that if somehow you don't agree with someone, that makes you a better or a lesser Christian than they are. And that we should all try and conform to one another. The sad thing is, well, it is a sad state of affairs, and the reality that this mindset just leaves too many people not sure of where they are, feeling slightly lost and feeling like there's always something else we must be doing to be accepted. Or to use another phrase, we find ourselves constantly having to justify ourselves. And it's this context, this notion of two-tier Christianity that Paul first writes about justification. It is true, as we've hopefully often heard many times, that justification does mean it's just as if I'd never sinned. That in the heavenly courts, not only have we been given an amnesty, we've actually been found not guilty at all. But there is more to it than that. The issue Paul is addressing here isn't whether the Gentile Christians were saved or not. In fact, salvation is not being considered here at all. It was whether the Gentile Christians were heirs of the same promises that had been made to the Jews. Justification isn't just the declaration that we are innocent in the eyes of the Lord and of the accusation of the law. It is the declaration that we have been justified by Christ and that we are heirs of the promises. We are part of the family We are one body. Not because of how we read our scriptures or of how many good deeds that we do, but because by faith in Christ we have been brought together and that we are united in him. He is our justification for being here. He is the reason we can call ourselves Christians. He is the reason that when we fellowship with each other, we are also fellowshipping with our Lord. But that comes with it a kind of warning. That when we refuse to fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ because of their mindset, we are also refusing the fellowship of our Lord. For just as we believe God is at work in our lives, has been at work, is working with us today, and will continue to work in our lives, when we refuse the fellowship of a brother or sister, it is to deny that Christ has done or is doing anything in their lives at all. But does this mean we turn a blind eye to sin? No. And Paul does briefly address that here. But this isn't the situation that is facing the Galatians, and hence it's not a major part of the passage. The issue is the Galatians are being made to feel like second-rate Christians. That the Galatians, despite having received the Spirit of the Lord, are being made to justify themselves to the Jewish Christians. We do not need to justify ourselves, for we are justified. We are not only forgiven by the Lord God Almighty, but by his love for us, he has brought us into his family 
He does not bless us because we have earned it. He blesses us because as his children, he is gracious to us. All the promises that he has made to his people concerning the future and the glorious world to come are ours to bring us hope. In the cross, Christ fulfilled the law. And in the sending of his spirit, which each one of us who believes in him has within us, we can be sure and certain of this. All because of Christ. Everyone here whose faith is in the Lord Jesus is your brother and sister. Everyone here can call themselves a Christian because of the work of Christ. We are all heirs to the same promises and will be spending the same eternity in his presence. If you ever have wondered if you should be here, the answer is always yes. But not because of what kind of week you've had. Not because of how good or bad you've been. You should be here because Jesus had made it so. Because there are no second-rate Christians. We are all in him and he in us. Let us now pray for others. Heavenly Father, on this Father's Day, we thank you for the gift of fatherhood. We thank you for the joys of bringing up children and all the blessings that that brings. And we do pray for your blessing, Lord, upon the fathers that we know. We also pray, Lord, for your fullness of blessing upon those that bring up children that are not their own, either through adoption or marriage or for any other reason, Lord. We do pray your full blessing upon them that they too know the full joys of being a father. We also pray, Lord, for the children who have been separated from their fathers for any reason and whose fathers have died. We do pray that you, our loving Father, would make your love known to them, that you would comfort them and heal the hurt that has been caused by separation. May you give them the confidence and surety that they require to face the day and make known your love to them that they too will know the love of a caring and devoted father. We also pray, Lord, for the fathers that have been separated from their children through no fault of their own. We pray, Lord, that you would give them the reassurance that they need to know that they can trust you with the care of their children. And we also pray, Lord, that in these situations you would not cease from working to bring a happy and full reunion between the fathers and their children. We also pray, Lord, for those fathers who do not show the love to their children as they should and for those that have turned their backs on the families and have left of their own cord. We pray, Lord, that you would continually prick their conscience that they would not be able to find the peace that they desire or the satisfaction with life that has led them selfishly to abandon their families and to deny them the love that a good father would show. We pray that they would know their peace will only be found when they have first sought reconciliation with you and then been reconciled with the families. 
This Lord may take a miracle, which is why we give it to you. We pray also, Lord, for the mothers who have been left to care for the families on their own. We pray that your hand would always be upon them to bless them. That you would provide their needs physically, emotionally and spiritually. May they know that they have not been abandoned. But that you, our loving Heavenly Father, will never leave anyone. We pray all these things in your name and we thank you. Amen. May the Lord who has gathered us here today be the first in our hearts and minds this week. May we be aware of his presence, thank him for his provision and be surrounded by his security. Let us be filled with his spirit as we go into his creation and witness by our lives to the world around us.